All right, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I I told you last week we're um, beginning a series of messages as we're going to walk through the book of Philippians and and, kind of look at what Paul has to say as he writes this letter to this church near the end of his ministry. We talked about the fact that Paul found himself uh, writing several letters to churches as he knew that his death was uh, possibly coming soon from a prison. Uh, you know, at this point, he was in a, a, a rented house where he was a prisoner, uh, unable to go and freely move about the country as he once did, but didn't allow that to stop him. We talked about this letter is full of joy, but it's really not the theme of the letter. Even though Paul talks about joy and and the abundance of joy that we have in him, he talks about the fact that we are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ together. We, the church, today are still in partnership with with leadership and and with our our, uh, association of uh, churches at Ash Baptist and then with our state convention. And then our national convention, we not always agree with everything that they're doing and, and, and every decision they make, but we're in partnership with them that we reach people for the cause of Christ. So last week in the letter to the Philippians, we saw that God is not finished yet. But what did that mean? Well, God's not finished with us. That God began a good work in you and me, And he's going to carry that work on to completion until the day of Christ. He's begun a good work in the church and with the church. And he's not going to abandon his church no matter what society around us does. God says, I'm going to be there for the church. And now, listen, let me just remind you, the church is not this building. The church is you and I who are faithful to walk with Christ, faithful to partner with him faithful to go out for him. So we are supposed to um, follow in his footsteps. In other words, the Christian life is not static. It doesn't mean that we become a Christian and that's where it stops. No, it is not static, but it is dynamic in that it is constantly growing and changing. We are supposed to change. We're supposed to grow. Paul shares with us a prayer for the saints by the saints in our message this morning. But to get there, I wanted to share a story. During the American War for our independence, John Adams, one of our founding fathers, corresponding back and forth with his wife, Abigail. Thankfully, these, many of these letters were saved and kept and preserved for us to be able to look at because there's so many neat things in them. Often they're full of humor and history and love. But in one of them, I want to draw particular attention to John Adams is writing to Abigail. And at the end of his letter, he writes a prayer. And I want to read that prayer to you this morning. And here's what he says. May God Almighty's providence protect you, my dear, and all of our little ones. He goes on to say, My guardian angel whispers me that we shall see happier days 
and that I shall live to enjoy the felicity of domestic life once again with her whom my heart esteems above all earthly blessings. What a sweet prayer to write to your sweet wife. No, I'm away for now. I'm longing to be with you. And I know that when I return, God is faithful to promise that we're going to have a great rest of our life together. John Adams writing this reminds me of the prayer that Paul writes here in Philippians that we're about to read. He talks about how that he loved the church at Philippi. And he really did. Paul didn't just talk about love, he exemplified that love. And because he loved them, he prayed so much for them. And we too will really pray for those people that we love as well. Many a mom, many a dad has prayed for their children faithfully and diligently because they love them and they want the best for them. Many husbands and many wives have prayed one for another because of the deep love and bond that they have towards one another. Prayer is surely one of the greatest indicators of our godly love towards one another. But what should we pray for those that we love? How should we really pray for them? Prayers, as you know, can take on many forms. But Paul shows us here that he prayed for the Philippians. And what it does is it teaches you and I something about what you and I should pray for our loved ones. As well as reminds us that God is trying to work into our lives spiritual truths that will cause us to grow closer to him. So if you got your Bibles open this morning to first or to Philippians chapter 1, I want to read verses 7 through 11 with you this morning. So let's stand together as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. I want you to listen to Paul as he shares this and breaks out into a prayer. He says, even as it is meet for me to think uh, this of all, you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Listen, here's where he prays. And this I pray. Let your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of the righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Father, what a wonderful prayer. What a powerful prayer. The Apostle Paul prays for the church at Philippi. Lord, I pray today that you would move your servant out of the way and 
Let the power of that prayer speak to us today. As we talk about the prayer, the prayer for the saints by the saints. And Lord, may it speak unto our hearts. May it change the way we pray one for another. May it change us as we pray this prayer one for another. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. There are a few things that I want you to see from this prayer this morning. The first is found in verses 7 and 8. That we're to pray a love that overflows. You know, it's one thing to pray, Lord, give our church a loving attitude. Boy, I've prayed that over the years. Lord, we need to we need to love people. But you know, Paul takes it to a, a different level. He doesn't pray just for a love, but he prays for a love that overflows. Paul clearly says that the motivation for prayer is our love for one another. Listen, the more we love one another, the more earnestly that we're overflow with love for one another, the more we're going to pray one for another. The deeper we're going to pray for one another, the more impact our prayers are going to have one to another. So the first thing that we find is found in verse 7 and that Paul prays love overflows as partners in the gospel. You know, we started to talk about this last week as we looked at the first part of chapter 1 as introduction. Paul told the Philippians in verse 3 that they were on his mind. That he was constantly thinking about them and constantly remembering them in prayer. But now in verse 7, he, he concludes that thought by telling him that you're not only on my mind, but you're in the depth of my heart. We seem to find that all too often, it's easy to let other Christians know when they're getting on our nerves. But it's a little harder for us to say to others that you're filling my heart. I love you with a deep love of the Lord. That you're in my heart, and, and because you're in my heart, I can't help but pray for you. I can't help but think of you. If you remember from last week, for those of you that were here and heard the sermon, we saw that Paul was full of joy and thanksgiving for the Philippians, and he said that every time I remember you, I thank my God in remembrance of you. And the reason he gave last week was the absolute confidence that God would complete that good work that he had begun in them, that God was not going to let go, he was not going to quit, he was not going to give up, but that he was going to take them to completion. And Paul knew that, that he, the, the life that he had invested in this church, God was going to take and was going to bless and God was going to use and he was going to glorify his name through them. And Paul was so excited about that. That was certainly a God-directed reason. And now he gives another reason, this time a more personal reason. He says it is right for him to feel this way because the Philippians dwell in his heart. There's a love for them. Not just a, a, a thinking of them, but a, a love for them. What a beautiful expression Paul makes here. He doesn't just have the Philippians on his mind, he has them 
in his heart. He doesn't just have them on a piece of paper that is called a prayer list, but he has them written on the pages of his heart. He carries them wherever he goes and whatever he does. Therefore, the motivation for Paul's praying for them is out of love for each other. And that love is first of all a love for each other as partners in the grace that God himself has given unto them through Jesus Christ. The grace that comes together knowing that we are all saved by the same grace. Our salvation comes not from this work. Paul goes on to talk about his current circumstances. Now, I've been in prison or free, my heart for you does not change. But look at how he defends the, his freedom that he has even while in prison. I'm here defending and confirming the gospel. Paul is completely gospel-centered. I wonder if you and I found ourselves in prison for a period of time. And when we got out, what would be the first thing that we would want to do? What are some things that would come to mind that as soon as I get out of this place, this is what I'm going to do? Maybe it'd be I'm going to my favorite restaurant and have a nice meal. No more jail chow. Maybe I'm going to get together with my family that I haven't been able to see because I've been behind the bars. Or maybe... I'm just going to go take a long walk up Mount Jefferson and just breathe in that fresh mountain air. All these things are great, nothing wrong with them at all, but look at what Paul says. He says, if the Lord so graciously allows me to be freed from this prison and be able to set back into the world, I'm not doing any of those things. He said, but what I want to do is I want to go and engage others in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to, to go out and share the gospel. This is an awesome thought, and it should encourage all of us to make sure that the gospel, and sharing the gospel with those that we see every day in the freedom in which we have in this world, that it is the central theme of our life. Wherever I go, Whatever I'm allowed to do, I want to take the gospel and share it with all who will hear. And then the second part that he sees here in this overflowing love is found in verse 8. Love overflows with the affections of Christ Jesus. Now you might be wondering, what does that mean? Well, good. I'm glad because I wondered myself. Paul says the motivation for prayer is that overflowing love, and the love is first found in the grace of the partnership of the gospel. And then he goes on to speak about loving each other with the affections of Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? Well, think about it this way. Listen to Paul's language first. He uses strong words here. He calls upon God, first and foremost, to witness to testify to the truth that what he is saying. He says, you know, I want you to understand, and Paul doesn't do this very often, but he says, for God is my record. He is my, he is my witness about what he's about to say. And listen to what he says. How greatly, how greatly I long after you 
in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, in this phrase, we find that it's talking to us about what it means to love in the affections of Christ Jesus. The word bowels speaks of the most inner affections, that tender mercies and deep compassionate love of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, listen, just as the Lord didn't just go to the cross because it was what he had to do, he did it because he had a great love for the world. When we think of John 3.16, think about it when, you, when we read that verse, for God so loved. He's talking about that this love come from that deepest, most intimate part of God. What you and I call the bowels, the heart of the matter. We love people today in our heart. We don't say, I love you in my gut. <laughs> no, we say, well, I, I, I love you with all my heart. Right? That's why Valentine's is all about hearts. But in this time, they, they looked at the most inner seat of, uh, of affections coming from the stirring of your gut. You, you know what I'm talking about. You know when, when, when something emotional happens that kind of you know, makes everything move around in there and, and, and you kind of get all woozy and koozy and, and, and all of that. That's what he's talking about. That's the kind of love that God loved for us when he sent his only begotten son. And when Jesus said, how much do I love you? He laid out his arms and he died for us. But it came from that inner love that when he prayed that night before he was, went to the cross, God, if there's any other way, but if not, I love them this much. And he was moved with compassion. His inners were on fire for us. And the Apostle Paul says, God be my witness, that's how I love you. I'm moved within my, my bowels, within that inner spot, in that emotional place. But how is it possible to love each other with the affections of Jesus Christ? Only one way. We must first be filled with Jesus Christ. You see, the world can't love one another with the affections of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ does not dwell in them. But he does us. And Paul says, let me remind you, because Christ and, and shares in the same grace with you and me, there is an inner emotional connection between us. So what is his motivation for prayer? The motivation is an overflowing love for each other. A love for, the, uh, for each other over the partnership of the gospel, but a love that is stirring him deep within his soul. And Paul then goes on to say, but an emotional prayer, an emotional moment, they're great. And we've seen them. Shucks, we've seen them many times. People get all emotional. They cry. They, they, they get excited for a moment and then unfortunately sometimes our emotions don't carry us to action and we go right back to doing and living the same way Paul said I wish that just the overflow of my emotions was enough to carry you through but it's not for none of us 
We need to move beyond our emotional uh, uh, prayer to uh, something that's going to move us in our life. The second thing I want you to see is found in verses 9 and 10 where he talks about a prayer for a knowledge that discerns. Let's look for a few moments at the content of what Paul's prayer is. And, and, and I wonder, I want you to think about this morning, what is the content of your prayer? What is the content of your prayer life for one another? Is it emotional? Is it simply just, Lord, bless them? I mean, do we not oftentimes pray that? Lord, just bless them. Lord, just show your love. Lord, just comfort them. It's emotional, but what is it going to lead them to? Paul wanted us to understand that our our prayers that move us need to also um, give us discernment in life, the ability to be able to move forward in life. And so Paul says in verse 9, And this I pray. Isn't that neat? Paul doesn't simply tell the Philippians, I'm praying for you. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I sent out I don't know how many texts this week and calls and telling folks I was praying for them. And then I began to study this and realize, hmm, it's real good that they, they, and, and I got a lot of responses, thanks, appreciate the prayers. But you know what? Then I realized they didn't know what I was praying for them. Paul says, I want you to know not only that I'm praying for you, but I want you to know what I'm praying for you. You want to encourage someone? Tell them you're praying for them. If you want to really encourage someone to move in their walk with Christ, tell them what you're praying for them. Now, there are many things that we can pray for one another. We can pray for each other to get well when we're sick. We can pray for each other to be safe when we're traveling. We can pray for each other to find work when we're unemployed. And those are all good things. If we love each other with the affections of Jesus Christ, then we will certainly pray for one another's needs. But we should also pray for each other so that they will grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because the biggest need that every one of us has is not just to get through a sickness, not just to get home safely, but to walk with Christ daily so that that today I'm walking closer with Christ than I was yesterday, and next week I'll be closer, and next year I'll be closer. And the only way that happens is when we're praying, God, teach them, show them, lead them, guide them, instruct them. Not just... Lord, help them to be well. So it was with the Apostle Paul. He prayed several things for them, several needs that he knew the Philippians needed, as we all do. But his primary prayer was for them to grow in spiritual growth. So very quickly, um, let's just look at four of the things that Paul prayed for that we all should be praying for one another. A prayer for the saints and by the saints. So listen, let me remind you that the prayer that we're praying for others, we want others to be praying for us. 
We need it. We all do. So how do we pray for someone to grow in Christ? Paul gives us four things to pray for in these verses. First, a prayer for growth in love. You know, in verse 9, the, the Apostle Paul says, In this I pray that your love, and if he stopped right there, that you got love. Well, that's great. But he doesn't. He says that your love may abound. Meaning that, that your love that you have will grow constantly. The love for God will grow deeper and deeper every day. First prayer that we should pray for each other is that we would grow in the love of Christ. Our motivation for prayer must be out of an overflowing love for each other. And our Christian growth must be first of all growth in love for the Lord. You see, there is no Christianity without love. Because 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, God is love. That is His nature. That's who He is. And then John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That is the gospel. And then in 1 John 4.11, He says, Dear friends, since God so loved you, we ought to love one another. That should be our calling. As God put His love in me, I should love one another. Take away love and we no longer have true Christianity. Think about it. Paul said, faith, love, and hope. Of all those things, what is the only thing that survives when it's all said and done and we've all gone to heaven? What's the last thing? What's the only thing that's going to be there? Love. We don't need hope because we've already arrived. We don't need faith because we already see. But we're still going to need love. It's the one thing that holds on for all of life. But notice that Paul's prayer is not just for love, but that we would grow in that love, that your love may abound more and then more and then more. Listen, you can never love enough. You can never love too much. We must continue to grow in our love each and every day. The word abound means to exceed, to surpass the goal, which uh, with some leftover, it's kind of like uh, that song, uh, Drinking Out of the Saucer. You know, when it overflows, life overflows the love and we pick up the saucer and we drink from it. When you pray for each other to grow in the love of Christ, don't just ask for baby steps. Ask that they'll take giant steps. Lord, let them abound in that love. Let them grow wonderfully. Let them, let them progress greatly. Pray that each other's love would exceed would abound with much left over. God has infinite resources of love. He has a plenty of reserve of love and mercy that He can pour out onto us, so we'll never be able to pray someone have more love than what God can give. The second prayer that He prays, the thing that He says in His prayer is prayer for growth and knowledge. Second part of verse 9 that we would grow more and more in love and in knowledge. Paul doesn't just pray that their love would grow, but as their love grows, they will come to know Christ more and more. 
The more we love Christ, the more we're going to dig into His Word, the more we're going to spend time with Him, the more we're going to understand who He is, what He came to do, what He's left us to do, and how that we can walk better with Him, the more we will understand. My friends, let me just remind you, as we celebrate Valentine's Day, Christian love is not that fuzzy kind of warm love without basis or support. Christian love is firmly grounded in the knowledge of God's way. It's not that sentimental stuff. It is growing in the knowledge of who He is. But not just knowledge about Christ. Listen, God doesn't want us to be a bunch of scholars who know a lot about Christ. He wants us to know Him personally. He wants us to have a personal, intimate relationship with Him where we are longing to love Him and to be loved by Him in in a way that we may not fully understand at this point, but the more we love Him, the more we understand, the more knowledge we have. This is how it's put in words of one song. To know, know, know Him is to love Him, Him, Him. How do you grow in love? Know God more. How do we know God more? Spend more time in this book and on your knees. And you'll get to know God more. The more you know God and the more you know His Word, the more you'll love Him and the more you'll be able to love others. The more you'll pray for each other to grow in the knowledge of God. The third thing that he prays is found in verse uh, 9 and 10, the latter part of 9, pray for growth and discernment. Now the King James uses the word judgment. But I didn't want anybody to get the wrong idea that I want you going around and judging people. No, I want you to have discernment. Pray for each other to grow in the discernment. The, The word that's translated judgment is a word that means to discern, to understand. To know. It only appears here in the New Testament, but it appears 22 times in the Greek translations in the book of Proverbs, where it speaks about the practical insight that affects our behavior, how that we are to live in this world. Knowledge is important, but knowing how to apply that knowledge is equally important. So it is that as we pray, <clears throat> we're not only to pray that we have more love, that we know more than what we knew before, but that we pray that we have the depth of discernment and insight into how to live and love Christ. Why? Paul, Peter says here, um, well, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Paul tells us then in the same words used in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, when Peter speaks about gold being refined in the fire. And so just as the goldsmith puts the gold into the fire to test it for impurities and to discern what is pure gold and what is not, we're to test the things of our life. We're to practice discernment. So the things that... Uh, uh, become useless are removed. As we talked in our Sunday school, that all that is left is that which is beneficial. 
Christian love is not based upon feelings. It's based upon knowledge and discernment. Thank you, buddy. And knowing the truth of God's word. And then acting on that choice so that we can choose to do things in life differently than what we had been doing so that, that we are become a shining example of Christ to others. Too many of us have not taken this step in our life and we're continuing to repeat patterns in our life over and over and over again. And we kind of hide in the background and we kind of hide from others because we, 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 we see that there is a repetitiveness of patterns that are not godly. But when we have this change in our life and we begin to see things changing in our life and we begin to see that we're walking in the discernment of the Lord and we're walking in the faithfulness of God, we come out of the shadows and we let others see what Christ has done to change us so that we're saying to them, if he can do this in me, he can do it in you. We ought to pray that God would show that kind of discernment in one another so that he'd come out of the darkness and that they would stand in the light of one another. The last thing that he says in verse 10 is that there is a prayer for growth and holiness. You see, when we come out of the darkness... What we're saying to people is that it's not me, it's him. It's what he's done in me. We need to pray for each other that we will grow in love, to grow in the knowledge, to grow in the discernment, but finally to grow in holiness. Another word for that is the word sincere, which can be translated pure, unmixed, transparent, or wholesome. It carries the idea of something that is found to be pure when examined by the light of the sun. I read a wonderful article and several commentaries on how that in Paul's day that the, 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 the potters would make pottery and if they had a crack in a vessel, they would fill it with a wax and, and then glaze over it and, and, and sell it as something that was pure. And they said that the way that you would tell a pure pottery from that which was uh, marred and defective was you would hold it up to the sun and, and the sun would shine through and it would, it would reveal the, 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 the wax. It would have a shadow to it. You see, the reality is that we oftentimes in our own lives have shadows we have things that, that need to be removed. He goes on to use the words without offense, without any cause of stumbling. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 16, it's translated a clear conscience. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we ought to be praying one for another that people can walk with a clear conscience that when the sun shines, and I'm not talking about that thing that's shining out there. I'm talking about when Jesus shines through us, people don't see that, that imperfections. They see Christ shining through. We need to let the sun shine through us. And Paul then goes on 
to say that we should pray for each other over and over again until the day of Christ. There's a sense of urgency here, a sense of looking forward, keeping your eyes on the prize, keeping the goal uh, in front of you all the time. Paul is saying that we should pray for each other to grow in holiness so that when we stand before the Lord on that final day, we can, as we talked about in our Sunday school, we can stand before the Lord with boldness, with confidence, knowing that, that it's not what I've done, but it's what He's done to purify and to cleanse me. And I'm holy because He is holy. I am sinful, but He made me righteous. I was unholy, but He poured in His holiness. And when the Father looks down upon me, He doesn't see Steve. He sees his son. He's applied everything to me, and he has to you as well. Paul says that we ought to have that urgency. This is quite a prayer. Praying for each other to grow in love and knowledge and in discernment and holiness. That's the content of the prayer in which Paul says that we ought to be praying one for another today. Just as he prayed for the Philippian church so long ago, he says, church, if you want to see the church of Jesus Christ move forward, start praying this prayer over each and every one, and we'll see a difference. The third thing that I want to leave you with today as we close our time, pray for the fruit that is genuine. Look at verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by none other than Jesus Christ under the glory and the praise of God. We have looked at the overflowing love that is the motivation for our prayer. We have looked at the content of the prayer that leads to Christian growth. Finally, we need to look at the results of what that prayer is going to do in the hearts and lives of people. It's going to produce a genuine fruit. As a result of this kind of prayer, we can see changed lives resulting to the praise and glory of God. Church, is that not what we're supposed to be doing? Are we not supposed to be seeing sinners come in and be saved by the grace of God and leave as saints and then go out and walk rightly before the Lord because we as a church have invested in them, we have prayed for them, we have taught them, we have instructed them, and then we send them out into the world. Unto the praise and the glory of the God who saved every one of us. It's not we don't want the praise for what Midway Baptist Church is doing. We want to praise our God who has put us here to do His work. And as a result, we want our lives to ring forth the praise and glory of God. So we've seen a couple of things here, the fruit that comes through Jesus. This, my friends, is simply a result that may be expected when we pray this prayer regularly for each other. He reminds us that when we pray this kind of prayer into the life of people, it will fill their hearts. Not just up to the line, but it will fill them completely to the top, to the overflowing. 
Notice the Apostle Paul reminds us that you don't fill yourself. You're filled by Christ. The first step of filling any cup is looking at it and making sure that it's empty of everything else before you say, can you fill me up? Think about it just for a moment. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to come before our Heavenly Father and say, Lord, empty out all of me, all of mine, all of self. And once I'm empty, fill me up with all of you. Too many Christians are so full of themselves, there's not much room for Christ. It's time we empty ourselves so that he can fill us with the fruit of his righteousness. Notice that we are not just to bear fruit, but we are to be filled with fruit. R. Kent Hughes says this, a tree that bears fruit is alive, but a tree that is filled with fruit glorifies the gardener's care. The second thing that we see is the fruit that brings glory and praise to God. Christian growth brings glory and praise to God because God is the one who makes us to grow. And God is the one who will receive the glory from what we do. It is the fruit of Jesus' righteousness in us, not our own. The results of this prayer changed the lives of the Philippian believers and resulted in the prayer and the praise of the glory of God. And I want to tell you that if it worked then, it'll work today. If it can take a pagan group of people, we talked about this last week, some of the different people that represented the Philippian believers at the beginning, who they were now in Christ is so much different. If Paul's prayer can bring the glory of God unto the church of Philippi, I believe the prayer that Paul has taught us to pray here can bring the glory of God to West Jefferson. I want you to understand that this is a real prayer. This isn't just some sentimental words written this was Paul's heart. This was his prayer. The prayer that he prayed. He said, this is what I am praying for you. Parents, can you imagine if you just for a moment thought about if you were praying for your children this way, what it would do for their lives? Husbands, what if you prayed this prayer for your wives? And wives, what if you were praying this way for your husbands? Grandparents, what if you prayed this prayer for your grandchildren? What if we started praying this prayer one for another? For this church, what would God be able to do?
so that our prayers can make a difference. God gives us these prayers in His Word so that we have a purpose, so that we have a prayer to follow, so we have an understanding of what our prayer is going to accomplish, so that our prayers will have the power to be effective, that they'll hit the mark and not simply just waste time. Remember, God's not finished yet. So this prayer can make an eternal difference in what he wants to do in and through our lives. God will complete his good work both in you and in the church. A good work that he has begun, but that he says that through the power of this prayer can elevate each and every one of us unto holiness, which will bring forth the glory and the praise and the honor to God himself. I don't know about you, but that's what my life is supposed to be. And if it's not, then we're simply just wasting time. May this prayer challenge you to change how you pray one for another.